your sadness, cry out to God, bring to him your requests, and continue to trust in who he is. Morning. Good to be with you here all this morning. Have you ever felt that God has forgotten you? Have you ever felt that God has hidden his face? Have you ever gone through a season of, of pain or sorrow in your heart? Have you ever felt that it's always those opposed to you and opposed to God who win in the end? What do you do in those times? What do you do when it feels like God has forgotten you or hidden his face? What do you do when you're trying to calm and quiet your soul? What do you do when evil always seems to have the upper hand? Brothers and sisters at WSBC, do you cry out to God? Even when it feels like your whole world has fallen apart, even when your hopes and aspirations are crushed, do you cry out to God? This morning we're back in the book of Psalms, and we'll see what David prayed at a dark time in his life. In the book of Psalms, we have tastes of the whole range of human emotion. In Psalm 13, we join David in his time of sorrow and sadness. This psalm, similarly to Psalm 10, can be categorized as a psalm of lament. Please turn with me to Psalm chapter 13. You can also see it printed in your bulletin. We know the author is David from the heading above the psalm, but we're not given any more information on when in David's life he prayed this psalm. What we do know is that there was more than one time in David's life that would fit singing such a prayer. We can think of Saul's multiple attempts at killing David or or later, David's son Absalom leading a revolt and driving David out of Jerusalem. It could also be at another difficult time in David's life. We don't know. But thousands of years later, David's prayer continues to resonate with us today. David doesn't shy away from hard questions, and in times of trouble, David doesn't shy away from God. So let's look together at Psalm chapter 13. To the choir master. A Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Brothers and sisters, can you relate to David's sadness? And yet, do you understand why David can still end 
in a joyful song. I'd like to sum up the main idea we can take away from Psalm 13 this morning. My hope is that this main idea is something that we can continue to consider and apply to our lives. And that main idea is this. In your sadness, cry out to God, bring to him your requests, and continue to trust in who he is. So this main idea lends itself to walking through the psalm in three points. Point number one, in your sadness, cry out to God, verses one and two. Point number two, bring to him your requests, verses three and four. And point number three, trust in who God is, verses five and six. So let's begin with point one. In your sadness, cry out to God. Look again at at verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? These questions are spoken out of pain and sorrow. They sound like desperate pleas to God. David is crying out to God in his sadness. Notice the repetition of the words, how long, to introduce each of David's questions. David wants to know how long this pain and suffering will last. David wants to know when will God act? When will God change the current state of things? In the first question, we notice that for David, it feels like God has forgotten him. In the second question, it feels that God has hidden his face from David. There's a similar feeling to the beginning of Psalm 10 in which David said, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It doesn't feel good to be forgotten. It's like in the movie Home Alone when the parents pack up the kids in the car and forget young Kevin at home as they take off on their flight to Paris. And it takes time for him to realize that his parents really did forget him at home. It takes time for Kevin's parents to also realize that his parents really did forget him at home. But not only does David feel forgotten, he also feels that God has hidden his face. Not only does it seem that God has forgotten David, but it feels like God is actively avoiding David, turning his face away from David. In thinking of God hiding his face, we can contrast it with several times in the scriptures when it speaks of God shining his face on his people. God's shining of his face pictures God's blessing his people. God looks on his people and is pleased with them. God's hiding his face pictures separation and distance from his people. In light of the feeling that David has of God forgetting him and hiding his face from him, David is filled with wondering why things are this way and how long this situation will last. With God and his blessings seemingly far away, David is left trying to comfort himself, taking counsel in his soul and with a sorrowful heart. David's fourth, how long question is, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? This year at WSBC, I've guest preached on Psalms 10, 11, and 12. Each of these Psalms contains the theme of of David's enemies. We see that the enemies of David are the enemies of God's people and and thus the enemies of God. 
At this time in David's life, it seems that David's enemies have the upper hand. David's enemies are the ones in power to do evil. In each of these four how long questions, David is crying out to God out of his sorrow. This is not to say that God has truly forgotten David or is truly hiding his face. But because of the trial or suffering that David is facing, it does feel like God is far away. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you that sadness and sorrow in the Christian life is not wrong. Jesus wept more than once. He wept after the death of his friend Lazarus, and he wept in anticipation of the Father's wrath being poured out on him at the cross. There may be non-Christians who have visited WSBC or, or, or even who are here this morning who have been impressed by, by how happy and friendly everyone was. But if you're sad this morning, that's not wrong either. And if you're being friendly, even though you don't really feel like being friendly, well, thank you, brother or sister, for persevering in that. But brothers and sisters, I think we can also learn from this psalm that what makes us happy or what makes us sad is important. We can ask of this psalm, why is it that David has sorrow in his heart all the day? Is it because of the difficult circumstances he's facing? We can assume that they are hard circumstances. But since the psalm doesn't give us details, we can assume the details of those circumstances are not important for understanding the meaning of the psalm. David is not sorrowful simply because of his difficult circumstances. David is sorrowful because these circumstances make him feel that God has forgotten him. These circumstances make him feel that God is far away. David's relationship with God is of central importance to his life. So when it feels like that relationship has been severed, that is more painful than whatever circumstances has brought on these questions. Perhaps you may be in a, a similar situation to David. Perhaps it's not so much the circumstances in your life that have caused you sadness, but those circumstances have caused you to think that God is far away or, or that God does not care. If we begin to believe lies about God, if we begin to believe that God does not care, that truly will cause us great pain and sorrow. But remember as well what David does in his sorrow. He cries out to God. He asks his honest questions. David does not hold back from directly expressing to God the, the pain in his life. And that must be what, what we do as well. If we only take counsel in our own souls, if we only meditate on how hard life is, we'll walk into self-pity and despair. We need someone to grab us out of our pain. And if we've begun to doubt God, we need God to grab us out of our doubt. Brothers and sisters, we need to go to him and pray. And maybe in your sadness you don't know how to start. Well, it's not wrong to start with the words, How long, O Lord? It's not wrong asking God how long a particular trial will last or how long you'll have to wait for God's blessing in a particular area of your life. God might not answer in the way that we might expect, 
but let us bring our pleas before him. Also remember that every psalm has a corporate aspect to it. The psalms were not meant to be sung solo. This was Israel's divinely inspired hymnal. So even in a psalm that uses pronouns I and you, this is a psalm that is meant to lead us together from our pain and sorrow to a continued joy and trust in God. So how might this prayer of lament help you come alongside a brother or sister who is going through a difficult time? You may have the opportunity in the not-too-distant future to, to open up Psalm 13 with someone and use it to guide you both in seeking to trust God with your sorrow. We even heard a, a bit of an example in Luke's pastoral prayer as he, as he quoted a bit of Psalm 13, praying for those going through sadness in this body. I don't know what it might be that makes you feel that God is far, but I hope that there are brothers and sisters in this room who know you well enough that they know what causes you sadness, anxiety, or pain. And I hope that those same brothers and sisters can remind you of the truths, not only of verses 1 and 2, but of, of Psalm 13 as a whole. When David cries out to God, he's not crying out into empty space. There's a God who is listening. And I think we see that David understands that from how he continues in his prayer. Look again with me at verses 3 and 4. Here we come to our second point, bring to him your, bring to him your requests. Bring to him your requests. David prays, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Here David makes three requests of God. First he asks God to consider him. The literal wording here would be to, to look upon David, to, to see him. Second, he asks God to answer him. And third, he asks God to light up his eyes to protect him from death. These requests seem a bit less desperate and a bit more bold than verses 1 and 2. There's an expectancy that God will answer. David praying that God look upon him is in contrast to what David feels that God is doing now. David feels that God is looking away from him. He feels that God has hidden his face. And so... David prays that instead God will look upon him. David's request makes me think of how my son Ezra, uh, who will be one and a half next week, acts when, when someone other than mom or dad is carrying him. Now this is most of the time. Uh, Phil Lee was carrying him this morning and he was pretty happy, so I was thinking if I had to change this illustration. But most of the time, if you pick up Ezra after the service this morning and you take him to the other side of the room and he sees mom and dad, he's going to make it very clear to you and to mom and dad that he wants to go to mom and dad. Arms outstretched and crying or whimpering. It's like he wants to say, look, I'm here. Come over here, come carry me. And perhaps our prayers can be a bit like this as well. It feels like God is way on the other side of the room with his back turned and we want to make sure that God has not forgotten us. And so we ask God to look. 
But what we might not remember is that God has been watching this whole time. As we saw, as we saw in Psalm 11, God is the God who sees. Not only do we ask God to look, but we also ask God to answer us. We cry out our questions and we expect God to respond. When we are faced with situations such as the one David faced, we want to state very clearly to God that we need his help. David's third request is that God light up his eyes, lest he sleep the sleep of death. Some think David may be referring to a situation in which he is sick and near death. But there's not enough information for us here to be able to tell. It could also be that the danger of death is coming from David's enemies. David knows that God is the God who can save him from death, and so he states his request clearly. In addition to these three requests of God, David gives God a reason for his requests. David's reason is so that his enemy does not say, I have prevailed, I have won and rejoice that David is shaken. Notice what David's enemies would find joy in. David's enemies would find joy in his failure. They would find joy in victory over David. In Psalm 11, the wicked made a target of the righteous, bending the bow and fitting their arrow to shoot, the, to shoot in the dark at the upright of heart. David's enemies are very happy when the righteous fall. So here, David is appealing to God's desire to protect his people. As King David was the king that God anointed, David's enemies would be likely to think of a victory over David as a victory over David's God as well. Just as in Samuel's childhood years, the Philistines initially saw a victory over Israel and the capturing of the Ark of the Covenant as a victory over Israel's God. Or consider how the Philistine Goliath cursed David by his gods and how David responded by saying, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. In Psalm 13, David is not simply praying for salvation. He is doing so by appealing to God's honor. So brothers and sisters, we can learn from this and also pray appealing to God's honor. Our prayers are hopefully are becoming more and more concerned with God's glory and God's honor among the nations. My hope is that God will continue to change our hearts. As we grow in knowledge of God, we also grow in being able to pray, Thy will be done, kinds of prayers. As we grow in understanding what is closest to God's heart, we grow in praying prayers that delight God and honor Him. So, for example, if we pray for God to save a non-Christian friend because we care about that person, and we want that person to be saved from the punishment of hell, that's a good motivation to pray for that person. But if we think on appealing to God based on who we know God is, Perhaps our prayers for our non-Christian friend's salvation may also begin to be appealing more and more to God's glory in saving people. Or appeal to what God has said in his word, that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. As we come to know God better, we will be able to
pray with better understanding. We're not replacing compassion for a sinner with concern for the glory of God. We want to have compassionate hearts just as Jesus had compassion on people. But I think a blind spot that many of us have when we pray for our non-Christian friends or in our prayer lives in general may be considering how God would be honored in answering our prayers. So brothers and sisters, boldly bring your requests before God and pray as well that our prayer lives would be honoring to Him. That brings us to our third and final point, trust in who God is. Trust in who God is. Look again at verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here we have the key transition in the psalm, starting the word, but. Even though the situation seems bleak, David expresses to God his trust of God. David expresses three aspects of God's character that keep David trusting and rejoicing in God. First is that God is love. Second is that God is the Savior. And third is that God is generous. Let's look at how understanding these three aspects of God changes the tone of how David addresses God. So first, look at how understanding that God is the God of steadfast love gives David reason to trust in God. We naturally trust those who consistently show love towards us. And while human love fails at times, God's love is perfect. God may seem far, but actually David understands that God loves him. And because of that, he can trust God with whatever difficulty he is in. Trusting God does not mean we have all the answers. In our son Ezra's first year or two of life, we've had to take him to get his vaccinations many times. And I imagine he has no idea why his parents would take him somewhere and hold him still while the nurse pokes him with a needle. And yet our, our bringing him to the hospital where he gets poked by the needle does, hasn't seemed to change his trust of his parents. He needs to be comforted a little bit, my mom, and, and then he's fine. And I hope that Ezra continues to trust that his parents love him, even when we might have him go through more difficult or painful things than a vaccination. And that makes me think of our limited knowledge compared to God's infinite knowledge. We might not understand why God would have us be poked by a needle or perhaps what feels like a surgery, but can we keep trusting him in the pain because we know that he loves us? May God help us to understand his steadfast love. May God help us to understand that he's working for our good. Second, we see that God is the Savior. David says that his heart shall rejoice in God's salvation. God's salvation has not yet happened, but David trusts that it will, and David rejoices that it will. Notice the contrast of what David's enemies had rejoiced about in verse 4 compared to what David rejoices in. David's enemies rejoice over David being shaken up, but David rejoices because God will save him from his enemies. I don't know what trials you are facing now, 
but you can rejoice in God's salvation. If not in this life, in the life to come. God is the God who saves. We saw this in Psalm 12 also, as God spoke and said, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. David knows that God hears his requests and that God will save him. Third, David speaks of God's generosity. David proclaims that he will sing to God because God has dealt bountifully with him. David remembers how God already has dealt bountifully with him, and this spurs David on to song. David's praise of God naturally flows out of his remembering all that God has done for David. In David's joy and in David's thankfulness, he will sing. Brothers and sisters, consider how God has dealt bountifully with you, and may that cause you to sing to him. In sad times, it may be difficult to remember all that God has done for you. But let us with David sing of God's generosity even during the most difficult times. And brothers and sisters, what would be the clearest example of God's salvation, God's love, and God's generosity? In your suffering and your pain, where do you look to be reminded of, of who God is? Brothers and sisters, look to the cross. Look to Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's death that we have the greatest example of God's love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Before we loved God, Jesus loved us, and he gave up his life for us. Consider Jesus' pain at the cross. We know that God does not truly hide his face from the Christian, but at the cross, God hid his face from his son. As Jesus bore the sins of the world, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus endured the pain of the wrath of God the Father so that we can enjoy the love of his Father. It's in the death of Jesus that we see that what he gave up out of love and what the Father did out of love so that undeserving sinners such as you and me could be on the receiving end of the abounding love of the triune God. It's also in Christ's death that we have the greatest example of God's salvation. We were trapped in our own sins, trapped in darkness, slaves to our own sinful desires and awaiting the penalty we deserved. But God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we also might be saved. David was looking forward to a salvation that had not yet come. When we pray, we can remember a salvation that has already happened, Jesus' death and resurrection. If you're in Christ, God has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. It's also in Christ's death and resurrection we have the greatest example of God's generosity. How has God dealt bountifully with you? Perhaps you think of your family or your friends or, or worldly possessions, but ultimately God's greatest blessings towards you are found in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ you are saved. It's in Jesus Christ that you're brought into the family of God. It's in Jesus Christ that you have been gifted to be a blessing as well. It's in Jesus Christ that you, hope, that you have the hope 
of eternal life. God's steadfast love, God's salvation, and God's generosity are not simply abstract concepts. In Jesus, we can see these aspects of God's character perfectly embodied. David's hope for salvation in the ultimate sense was met by David's greater son, Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to, want to urge you to look to Jesus. Jesus is a loving and wonderful Savior. You deserve punishment for your sins, but Jesus offers you salvation by taking the punishment that you deserved at the cross and rising from the dead, showing that he was victorious over sin and death. The Christians here in this room would take great joy in having the privilege of telling you more about Jesus. Of course, you're also welcome to continue regularly coming to WSBC and hearing God's Word preached. Those who preach God's Word here want you to see how the whole Bible points to Jesus. It's a beautiful and wonderful, true story. In light of looking at Psalm 13 as a whole, I want to close with one main application. And that simply is to ask, how will this psalm change the way you pray? This is not the first psalm of laments that you've heard preached on at WSBC. This is not the first time we've considered what it might look like to learn from David in going from crying out to God in our pain to, to continuing to trust in God, even when our circumstances haven't changed. How do these kinds of psalms help us to pray during times of sadness and sorrow? I would guess that when you pray prayers of praise together as a congregation, you often hear echoes of the psalms. The psalms magnify God's name and praise God for who he is. When we praise God in prayer, it's a good thing if our prayers echo the psalms. And the same go for our own prayers of lament, our, our prayers in times of sadness or sorrow. With the truth about God that comes at the end of a prayer of lament like an anchor, we can move from our honest cries and questions to proclaiming that even in spite of this difficulty or in spite of this trial, we will trust that God loves us and he cares for us. And so we can pray, how long, O Lord? and be honest with how we are feeling in our own difficult situation, we can boldly ask God to answer, to save us from the evil that is around us. And by the end of our prayers, we can still tell God that we trust Him and that we want to continue to trust Him. We can pray that we trust God, remembering the love that He showed us at the cross. And perhaps your prayers may even end with a song. Psalm 13 is both a prayer and a song, with verse 6 proclaiming, I will sing to the Lord. There may be times in your life when it's difficult for you to sing. But even in those times, I hope you can continue to listen to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There may come a Sunday when your voice wavers and tears come into your eyes. But even on that day, remember God's love. Remember God's salvation. And may tears of grief be mixed with tears of joy. There was a, a recent song written by Sovereign Grace Music inspired by Psalm 13. 
It's a song in which it feels that a, a few musicians put Psalm 13 into their own words. As I read it to you, may you be reminded of the truth of this psalm and reminded that God is worthy of our trust no matter what. The song goes, O Lord our God, to you we come. Will you still hide your face? We cry before you and on our knees we pray, How long, O Lord, how long? Our sorrows leave us weak and worn, surrounded by our fears. We look to heaven through feeble faith and tears. How long, O Lord, how long? Till your glory fills our eyes and our faith is turned to sight. Till our thirsty souls are satisfied. How long, O Lord, how long? Our foes and enemies rejoice. Injustice seems to reign. Lord, we are shaken and we are losing strength. How long, O Lord, how long? But we will trust your steadfast love. Your grace will be our song. You bring new mercies with every rising sun. How long, O Lord, how long? Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we want to ask you how long? How long will the trials in our life continue? How long will life around us, the lives of those around us, or our own lives be so difficult? Father, we, we pray that you'll hear our requests in those times of sadness or sorrow. And Lord, we also proclaim that we trust you. Lord, we will rejoice in who you are, in what you've done, in the salvation that you've provided in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust even when it's hard, that you would remind us of who you are, that you would remind us of all that you've done, that you would use the brothers and sisters in this body to encourage one another to look to you. And Lord, that you would strengthen us to be, to be faithful this week. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.